Tuesday, everyone, and welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast, the new daily stream of the Colby Daniels Podcast. We're going to daily stream this thing every day, Monday through Friday, including Mike Steely and I's pregame show two hours before Oklahoma's kickoff on Saturdays. So uh, several ways that you can check this thing out. Again, the live stream is going to be tweeted every day at Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter. Then the audio version will be put out after the live stream, and that will go to all of the podcast services, Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast or wherever you've been listening to this podcast up to this point. And then if you want to replay the video version, you can either go to my Twitter and rewatch the video version there, or you can go to the YouTube channel where I will post that as well. So again, really excited about this. This podcast is now presented by my good friends, Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Great people, great ownership. Their goal is to help people live better lives. I'm a customer there. I was there yesterday and they've certainly done that for me as well. They're a local business. They've done tremendous things for their community outside of of what they do within the business. I'm just really happy to be connected with them, really happy to be a part of what they've got going on and really happy that they're supporting the podcast as well. So check out the website, abotanicalcompany.com. You can give them a call at 405-458-9699. Let them educate you on their line of products or educate yourself, but certainly don't be afraid to ask questions because they want to walk you through what they have to offer and how the, how it can benefit your life. So once again, big thank you to Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. All right, today's guest, following Oklahoma State's loss to Texas on Saturday, We'll talk about how much of this is Mike Gundy's fault, the quarterback situation, which is the hot topic of conversation in Stillwater right now, and what's wrong with Chuba Hubbard. All of that coming up with Zach Lancaster from PokesReport.com joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. Zach, what's going on today? I know it was a a crazy weekend in Stillwater. I'm sure this week is is just going to be unbelievable before Oklahoma State can play again. But uh, first and foremost, how are you, sir? I am doing great, man. How are you doing? I am I am well. Uh, the football gods have given us a lot of interesting things to talk about. Yeah. Some of it good, yeah. some of it bad, but certainly in Stillwater right now, uh, I think what happened on Saturday is, I mean, at least for me, really shocking. That's a, a really good Oklahoma State team still, in my opinion. Uh, a really bad Texas team, and, and even as the final whistle sounds and Oklahoma State gets an L, I, I walk away from that game just thinking, how the hell did that happen? Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're spot on with all that, and I, I still think Oklahoma State's the better team. You know, I we were we were kind of talking before we got started here, and I think that you know I, I had really two feelings before that game started. I think it was the most obvious feeling: Oklahoma State is the better team. They're better. They're the better team on paper. They they have the better coaching staff. They've done better this year, obviously, than almost any other team in the country. And so Oklahoma State should have came in and they should have beat Texas by at least 20, 21 points, whatever. But then on the other hand, uh, being born in 91, I grew up during that great era of Oklahoma State football. Some of my earliest memories are great Oklahoma State football. And and I had that sinking, poke, choke kind of feeling, you know, that we're, we're, we know we're good, we hear we're good, and Texas is not good. And so we should just roll over Texas like it's no big deal. Well. You have Sam Ellinger, who's played, what, 34, 35 games in his career. You have Tom Herman, who is yet once again on the hot seat. And for bigger reasons this time, we're losing a number one quarterback in the 22 class, which is crazy detrimental to the program. And Tom Herman effectively saved his game, uh, his job for at least, what, 
one, two weeks maybe now, depending on how the next couple of weeks go. So, yeah, it, it yesterday was was a wacky and wild day with, with the Mike Gundy presser. It's really interesting because I think as, as that game was going, I'm, like, watching my Twitter timeline, and, and even before the, the, the punt situation, Oklahoma State's winning, but, like, my timeline is full of Oklahoma State people saying, mm-hmm. I don't feel good about this. I know how this ends. We're going to lose. Yep. And I'm, I'm like, no, you got this. You're the better team. You have the lead. I know it's been ugly, but they're going to figure out a way to, to finish this thing off. And then I saw another person post that, that was at the game, actually, that the, it was comical how the student section was, like, fingers crossed, full of belief that it was going to happen, and the alumni was like, oh, no. We've, we've been down this road so many times. We know this is going to yeah. end in an L. And, and so I just, once again, I just, I find it comical how anytime things are kind of going in a certain direction, to, to your point, there's just that automatic, like, okay, we're not going to get this done. Yeah, yeah, and I, I I will say though that that one of the one of the big positives that, that I took away from this game, and I, I think it's incredibly important moving forward. Uh, Spencer is he is very young. You know, he committed three turnovers. Texas scored 21 points off of turnovers. There was the 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 bungled try block punt. You know, the hundred yard uh, kickoff return for a score. But you look at that Oklahoma State defense. You know. With it playing into you know older Oklahoma State fans' negative feelings, at you know I was in the press box thinking, okay, when is this defense going to collapse? You know when when are they going to give up a big play? And and to be to be fair, they gave up one earlier in the game, but you know down the stretch they made stops when it mattered. You know the LD fumble there, um, they the defense came up with a big stop. They held Ellinger to I think it was 169 yards through the air. They they held Texas total to less than 300 yards total. I mean, the defense is really, really good. And so if you have Spencer and they can clean up those, they can clean up those turnovers, the the rest of the season really shouldn't be a problem. Now, OU is always going to be a hangup. You know, they're really good. It doesn't matter if Oklahoma had lost every game up to the Oklahoma State game. There's just something different about Bedlam. And so Bedlam is going to be a little tricky, but if they can clean up turnovers, I think Oklahoma State's going to be okay. I, I think this defense is really good. And, and despite the loss on Saturday, I still believe this is the best defense in the conference. I don't know how I rate them maybe a, a among the best defenses in the country, but I still believe this is a really quality group. What would you say to the people that are talking about not getting a stop at the end of the fourth quarter, maybe not getting a stop in overtime for as many bad situations as this defense was put in? You know, I don't think it's fair to maybe criticize them for the amount of points they gave up because, again, they were put in some bad situations. But when the game was on the line twice at the end of regulation and in overtime, they didn't get the stop. And I think some people are are pointing to that saying, you know, how good are you if, if you're the group that's supposed to win the ball game? You didn't do it. Well, I mean, if if the defense is on the field for more time than the offense is on the field, and there's going to be more opportunities for something to not go right. You know, show me a defense throughout the history of college football or the great defenses throughout the history of the NFL that have made a stop on every single play 
of every single game. It, it there it just it doesn't happen. Now this this isn't the best defense that has ever walked the earth, but it's a really good defense. You know, you look at and how many times did Texas take over a drive in the red zone? I mean, there, there's not much you can do with a, the fumble exchange between Spencer and Chuba. You know, Texas gets the ball within, you know, inside the 20 yard line. I, I don't fault the defense for for giving up that score. You know, I, the interception. I don't. I don't give. I don't fault the defense for giving up a score after an interception that's returned into the red zone. I, the defense did fantastic. You know, and and you can also look at. You know some of the blown calls towards the end of the game. You know the 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 pass interference that wasn't really a pass interference there in the end zone. You know Tylen gets held on a play that's not called. Yeah, the refs made some bad calls, but like we've been talking about and it's been talked about for the past couple of days, Oklahoma State is really really good. You shouldn't be in a situation where a missed pass interference call in the end zone in overtime. You know decides a ball game that that doesn't decide a ball game you given up three turnovers that lead you know to 21 points with other turnovers that's what that's what gives up a ball game i said about a week ago that i don't think i've seen a better safety tandem in the country than colby mm-hmm. harvell peel and trey sterling i mean those guys every single week show up they're consistent they rarely make mistakes they make mm-hmm. impact plays throughout the course of a game and I know there are some good safety tandems uh, across the country and some that maybe have more hype, but as far as just actual production, I don't think I've seen a better tandem than those two guys in all of college football, and I watch a lot of college football. Mm-hmm. Obviously, those two and, and the issues on Saturday had to impact the defense as well, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I would say so. You know, and we talked to we talked to Trey Sterling after the game, and, and, and it's, it's crazy to think he, he had mentioned someone had asked him um, I don't remember who they asked but someone had asked him about maybe Tanner McAllister I think maybe they asked Trey Sterling about that and Trey was like yeah when I was you know as I was just on the scout team you know he was he was making plays and it's crazy to think that Trey Sterling you know even two seasons ago no one had ever heard of him and then he comes in last year and does fantastic and now this year he's one of the top safeties you know not only the conference but like you said he's one of the top safeties in the country you know and and colby harvell peel came in really good and he had a great freshman year and he had a fantastic sophomore year and that's just carried over so hopefully you know i gundy was asked about injuries uh, yesterday and he said well we got practice on tuesday that will bring our doctors in so we should have a, a pretty good idea on tuesday definitely wednesday so hopefully both of those guys are, are ready to go against kansas state because like you said yeah those those are really really good and you know going back to my my great oklahoma state memories of the 90s oklahoma state doesn't have great defenses you know they, there was 2011 where they were really good but you can have a good player here and there but but collectively as a whole the defensive line is great corner play this year has been great you know Rodarius Williams could be for me one of the the bigger shocks of the season because he's had moments where he's been good throughout his career but you don't look at Rodarius Williams and say okay you can throw to him every single time and he's a lockdown corner he's got this that that hasn't always been the case and this year it has linebackers are great you look at safeties those are great it's a fun time to be a defensive fan in Stillwater. And it feels like there's more depth maybe than I've ever seen defensively in Oklahoma State. Absolutely. You got, you know, and, and what's crazy to me is a lot of it's youth. 
you know, they, they have a lot of red shirts, uh, juniors and, and regular juniors and seniors and redshirt seniors, but you've got a class of, you know, redshirt freshmen and sophomores that are coming up. Trace Ford, my, by the by the end of his time in Stillwater, Trace Ford very easily could be one of the best defensive players at any level in college football. You know, you look at Thomas Harper, you know, when he was brought in, he was, you know, he, he wasn't hyped up. His recruiting process was all quiet, but Thomas Harper could end up being one of the best defensive players on this team, you know, before his time is up. And he's, I think now he's a sophomore, maybe a red shirt sophomore. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. The, the depth there, I mean, you can, you, they're rotating, you know, guys in every other play and, and it's not a problem. And I think that goes into uh, that goes into the success, the success of this defense, because you look at last year, virtually the same guys, you know, they brought back 10 of 11 starters. The defensive line just didn't have depth. They were dealing with injury. Same with linebacker. You bring back Calvin Bundage, you know, you've got Devin Harper, you know, fully healthy. It's this. Yeah, they're they, they've got a lot of depth and they Jim Knowles. I, I said it yesterday on my radio show. Oklahoma State powers to be in the athletic department. Better find some money and pay Jim Knowles whatever he wants because there's going to be teams, you know, blue blood collar teams that are willing to pay that man whatever he wants to leave Stillwater. Well, I think a good example of the depth is Calvin Bundage. Two years ago, there was a faction of the Oklahoma State fan base that probably would have said he was your best defensive player. Yeah, and now he's a situational type guy that, I mean, while I think he's a great weapon, they have so much depth and maybe more complete players that they use him situationally to take advantage of his biggest asset. Yeah, you, you missed all last season, and you go back the year before, you know, and, and he was a real do-or-die type of player. He was making plays every other every other play, but, you know, it was penalty every other play, penalty other, every other play. So he missed a lot of time that, you know, two years ago, but that's just because he was undisciplined. You know, there's a lot of people that thought he wouldn't even be back. You know, it was announced that that back injury had healed, you know, efficiently and, and enough to where he could get back out onto the field. We talked to him over the summer and he said, yeah, I had I had a plenty of doctors tell me I should not play again. Not that I couldn't, but I shouldn't. So we kept finding doctors until we found one that told us what we wanted to hear. And he's done fantastic this year. Now, he hasn't, like you said, he hasn't been in every play. He's been situational, which is a testament, I think, to, to Jim Knowles with what he's been able to do. You know, you've got Eamon Bonabamiga, you got Devin Harper, Malcolm Rodriguez, and then you got a collection of edge rushers like Trace Ford that you can rotate in and out, and you can bring Calvin Bundage in to give you a different look off the edge. I, I mean, it's, yeah, depth this year, it, it all goes back to depth, and it's really good. Before we get to the offense, which which I think you know deserves a lot of attention because it, it, we came into this season expecting, you know the 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 world from that group, especially when yeah. you consider the the firepower there. It's been I think somewhat disappointing to this point. I, I do want to hit Gundy before we get to that point because anytime Oklahoma State's in in a situation where they they lose a game that they're not supposed to, the finger is going to be pointed to Gundy, and maybe this is a two layer question. How much criticism does Gundy actually deserve for the loss on Saturday? And then I guess to take that a step further, if you don't think that he was super impactful on the loss Saturday, have some of maybe his decisions in the past maybe come to fruition in the game Saturday that, that are to blame? I think any time I think any time a team loses, you know, especially a big upset, I think the coach deserves some blame. 
you know, and I, and I think you'll hear coaches accept that blame. Well, maybe I didn't, maybe I should have had, you know, done a better job of making sure our players understood that yes, you're the number six team in the country going up against a team that's two and two in conference play, but this is a good college. This is major college football. There's always a chance of getting upset every single week. I think Chris Kleiman could be a testament of that with Arkansas State to start the year with Kansas State. Um, I think you look at situations. I, I, I get the punt block call on fourth and 22 late in the game. You know, you had been applying pressure. You had two big losses, and you know, on second and third down leading to that fourth and 22 you would applied pressure onto the punter throughout the game. So I, I, I understand wanting to apply pressure on fourth and 22. I don't, I don't agree with calling a block. You know, I think you, I think you call the pressure. I think you, you maybe not send the house, but you send three or four guys to try to rattle the punter, but there's no reason in my mind to call a block. You know, I, I think you look at special teams in Oklahoma state, I think OSU fans got spoiled on special teams for a while there because you had guys like Parrish Cox and Des Bryant. And, you know, you go back to 2014, and while he was misused, Tyreek Hill and the big, you know, punt return against Oklahoma and Bedlam. So I, I think that special teams need to be addressed. Like, for OSU, it's it's been let's let's punt the ball, let's let's start in good the decent field position rather than you know let's just let it bounce and roll into the end zone or down to the one or the two or whatever. It's it's been let's go out and let's just do the job. And I and I think for right now that's what it should be because you we we know that you know special teams nowadays returns are rare. You know punt blocks are rare because you're going to get a running into the kicker or you know roughing the kicker or whatever it is. So in that situation, I think you just you just put pressure, but you don't get close to them because that I mean that that right there gave Texas new life. Is Gundy still in control of special teams? No, I well they have MK Taylor, uh, an analyst uh, or assist. I don't. He's not a full time assistant, but MK Taylor on the staff. He you know he's in charge of special teams, um, but I would you know J- Gundy jokes around that anytime anything good happens that that he's the one that made that call. So I, th- I think it's it's kind of I think it kind of goes both ways. Yeah, uh, it, it kind of feels like you know if special teams are just neutral and you're not getting any positive plays, but you're not getting any negative plays. I think most people can live with that. Absolutely. I I, I don't I, I can't speak to this, but it feels at least from the outside looking in like it's been more of a negative maybe than even a neutral. I think this year, uh, this year, and even going back to last year. Um, well, maybe maybe not last year because Tom Hutton, uh, even though he was 29, and he Tom Hutton has has a heck of a leg. I think felt the pressure last year and really struggled punting the ball. But you got, when you have Dylan Stoner back there, Dylan. Now you go back two years and punt return was abysmal. They were they were muffin punts. They were fumbling balls. I mean, it was bad. But last year punt return was solid. With Dylan Stoner back there, you didn't have to worry. This year. I don't think you have to worry because they're there. He doesn't fumble. He's real sure handed. The, the mistake on kick, the, the mistake on the block was, was detrimental. It was brutal. Um, but. And then the kick return. Protection. And the kick, the yeah. kick return was bad. I, I, I don't know how I forgot about the kick return. You know, Gundy mentioned it yesterday. They had two guys out of place. They had, you know, they had one and a half tacklers ready to make that play. And two guys were out of position and the two guys out of position you can fix. 
you know, and I, and I think that's they're going to put a lot of emphasis on special teams this week. I think you'll see a lot of emphasis on punt block, trying not to run into the punter, and I think you'll see a lot of emphasis on kick return because if those two guys are in position, then that's three and a half guys ready to go, and I don't think I don't think you get that punt return because it's, at that point they were up two scores and they give up that and it's shoot yourself in the foot all over again. Yeah, I mean Kansas State, it feels like is one of the better special teams teams every year, right? absolutely electric it doesn't matter how bad they are you know in any other phase of the game but when it comes to special teams you know and and robert wrote an article uh, about this last night on pokes report special teams have to be special against kansas because excuse me it's kansas state because kansas state will always find a way to either return a punt return a kick pick up 40 50 yards on a return flip the field and and whatever momentum you had on defense or even though you got stopped on offense whatever kind of whatever offense you had you know let's say you punt the ball down to the four yard line there's a chance kansas state's gonna return it for 60 yards and completely flip the field all right let's talk about the quarterback position i'm still in the camp that says spencer sanders is your guy I don't think it's it's time to hit the panic button on him. He's going to make mistakes along the way. And specifically, I think he's going to make mistakes in the passing game. It's not like he was brought in because he was a world-class passer, right? He's, he's a dual-threat guy that has some work to do. While I think he has a terrific arm, he has some work to do in the passing game. And you see this in, in every area of, of football, even with Blue Bloods. Young guys and inexperienced guys make mistakes in the passing game all the time, and you have to kind of work your way through that period. And, and maybe this is where Mike Gundy deserves a little more blame is not getting Spencer Sanders more experience before a season where you have a legit chance to win a conference title. But, again, I, I still think he's your best option. The offense clearly is able to open up more when he's out there as opposed to it feeling a little bit shackled when you have, what's the, Illingworth uh, out Mm -hmm. there. And, and, you know, again, it just felt like the playbook was very small with Shane, despite, you you know, you can see the big tools from him. But thoughts on where Spencer Sanders is and, and just the whole conversation right now around the quarterback position? Yeah, that's that's interesting. That that is the conversation in Stillwater is the quarterback. That was the conversation on Saturday, all day Sunday, all day Monday. Spencer Sanders, I was talking to Trey Cobb yesterday. Spencer Sanders, as Trey put it, is an electric factory. And and that's you look at you look at what he's able to do on his feet. You know, I think he I think he netted eleven yards uh, on Saturday, but he gained fifty five and, and thirty one of those or maybe thirty five of those came on that big play where he uh, juked a, a linebacker out of his shoes you know, narrowly avoided a, a, an official and got the ball down to like the five yard line and Oklahoma State was able to score. What Spencer can do on his feet, I'm not saying that it negates any turnover, but you look at you look at Shane, you know, Shane Ellingworth has a has a heck of an arm. And there's no question that Shane is the future of that program. But when he came into the Tulsa game, there was no pressure on Shane. At that point, you know, everyone was completely shocked that Chuba, whatever was going on with him, whether it was mental or physical or whatever, Chuba couldn't run the ball. You lose Spencer two drives into the game. You know, you lose your two starting offensive linemen on the right side. You know, you, you lose those guys in the, in the first half. Ethan Bullock comes in and shouldn't have came in. Uh, Nine so possessions of just complete misery, right? 
It was it was hard to watch. I, you know, I, I like the kid, and I'm not trying to dump on the kid because he did the best he could. But but Ethan Bullock was not ready for that game. Uh, but then you so you bring in Shane Ellingworth, who it, he knows he's the future of the program, but it probably had. 0.5% thought that he might play that game. He had set out the two previous weeks due to contact tracing, so he hadn't even practiced. They, they, It was like a last-minute decision to even suit him up for that game. Imagine how bad that had been. If they hadn't suited him up, we'd have had Ethan Bullock for another two quarters. So he comes in as a reg, as, a, as a freshman in the second quarter, in the second half with no pressure. Tulsa has no tape on him. They don't know what he's going to do, and he can go out there and throw a couple passes and do just enough for that offense to click. West Virginia, they're still a good defense, but they, they're not as good as they were now. So he was able to go out kind of this he had a little more pressure, but I would, you know, I wouldn't say a whole bunch. And then he played and then he played Kansas. Ethan Bullock uh, Ethan Bullock could have beat Kansas. You know, the the backup punter could have beat Kansas. I'm sorry. Uh, and so you put you put Ethan in the game, or let's let's say you put Shane in the game. Uh, on Saturday, you pull Spencer, he's struggling, you put Shane out there. Shane could not do what Spencer can do on his feet. He can't extend those plays. We see very early that, that Shane Bullock is not going to be a very mobile quarterback. We're going to have a Mason Rudolph-type situation where you can stand in the pocket and you can throw the ball deep. He has a heck of an arm, but the 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 electricity that Spencer provides in extending plays is is huge and and then to hit on the second point I, I don't know and Tom Dorado will argue with me on this because Spencer's been in the he's been in the program for two and a half years he should know the system he should be prepared but I think missing the spring and not having a full summer was really, really big for Spencer. Because you go back to last week against Iowa State, that was his first full contact, full game, full speed, anything against an opponent that was allowed to hit him in 51 weeks. You know, you go back to the Kansas game where he lost, you know, we lost him last year with his thumb injury, 51 weeks. I mean, that's huge. And so the next week you're going up against one of the best defensive lines in the country. You're going up against a, a defense that got Joseph Asai back, who is most likely going to be a first round draft pick. I mean, the kid is just fantastic. And so I, I don't know if you can necessarily blame the coaching staff for not having Spencer ready. Spencer's still really young. You look at his resume, he's only played, I think, you look at the, the half game he played against Iowa State or against Kansas last year uh, and a little bit of time he's played. I think it's 11, roughly 11 games is what Spencer's played in. So he's still really young. Like the, the, the strip sack at the end of the first half, he, five seconds in the pocket, your your internal clock has to go off at some point. So he's he's still figuring it out. Um but I, I don't think I don't think the coaching staff should have pulled him, you know, or or could have pulled him. I think they they left in Spencer for the right reasons and rightfully so. And I think he should be the quarterback moving forward. Now I don't know how many more games he has you know, if he goes out there and, and turns the ball over three times and it leads to 21 points, I'm not sure moving forward how much, you know, leeway the coaches should give him. Yeah, like you said, I mean, he just adds an element that Shane Ellingworth doesn't have, and, and I think we can all assess the passing situation. Shane Ellingworth mm -hmm. is certainly more talented. But again, if you're just watching the offense, it's way more limited, or at least it was in those couple games that Shane Ellingworth played. They didn't seem Absolutely. to want to put too much on his plate. Absolutely. And, th and that's another thing, you know, 
you look at, you know, go back a couple questions ago, you know, with, with Gundy and decision-making, I, I think you look at Spencer and you have, you have a comfortability out there. You have, you know, an athletic quarterback, the first drive of the game, you get a, a wide receiver revert. How many times can you remember the past two or three years, Oklahoma state running a reverse in the first quarter? You know, not many times. There might be, you know, there may be the, the rare bedlam game where they're trying to throw a little bit of trickery in there. How many times does Mike Gundy going into halftime attempt to actually go for it and score instead of just, you know, a couple of dive plays and take a knee with 34 seconds left and let's go into the half because we get the ball coming out in the second half? You know, that there aren't many times. Now, the strip sack at the end of the first half might limit what Mike Gundy does. He might go back to being conservative, but having a quarterback like Spencer Sanders in the backfield, he is young. He does make boneheaded mistakes. I mean, he stared that receiver down the entire way and then still threw the ball inside, you know, for the interception there. So he, he's going to make those mistakes, but I don't think you can afford to put Illingworth out there in, in place of Sanders simply because like you said, the playbook has to be really watered down. It's it's really vanilla, and he can't he can't make plays on the ground. He, if a play breaks down, he's either going to get sacked or he's going to throw the ball away. I felt like this was going to be a top five offense in college football. Um, obviously, the quarterback position has has played into why it's not, mm-hmm. and and we all understand that. But even with the quarterback issues, it still feels like you know they're just trying to find their footing every week. I think they rank 51st in scoring offense in the country. They're 25th in total offense in the country. What's other than the quarterback? What's the issue there? Is it is it Casey Dunn trying to find a rhythm from a play calling standpoint? Is how much of that is the offensive line? I mean, again, there there are some really quality players on that offense. Yeah, I, you know, I I don't know if I would if I'd be comfortable really putting the blame on any one thing. I think you look at Casey Dunn, and, and he is a brilliant offensive mind. You know, I, I think there there is a little bit of a learning curve, and, and I'm not I'm not really in a place to say because I've I've never had a chance to call plays at any level, so I, I don't know the pressures of it. But you know, he's he's been in this offense. He knows the system. He knows the players. He knows the playbook. He you know it's, it allows him to kind of put his own little spin on things. Um, this. For as much as as much as fans wanted to hate on on Mike Yursich, you know, and on and on Sean Gleason, I think Oklahoma State fans got spoiled with the the explosive explosive offenses of Mason Rudolph and James Washington, and 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 while he struggled even to an extent, Taylor Cornelius, you know, big deep passes down the field. That's not the type of quarterback Spencer Sanders is. So I, I think that. I don't know if we're going to have super explosive, um, but I, I do think that, you know, the, the the first year play calling might have something to do with it. I don't know what's going on with Chuba Hubbard. I, Chuba is, is he's still really, really good. He's still going to make a lot of money in the NFL. He's still going to be successful. I'm not saying that he's completely dropped off, but when you go from, what, 21, 2,200 yards, you know, and he's struggling to, to get through a line, you know, he was breaking tackles left and right last year, and he can't really get anything going. There, There is something going on there, but I think – the offensive line plays into that as well. You know, you lose two starters on the right side. Uh, and then last week, 
you 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 bring in Jake Springfield, you know, in the Tulsa game, and you lose him last week, you know, so you're bringing in a guy in Preston Wilson that maybe and I don't I haven't looked it up, but I maybe have when he went into that game less than ten snaps under his belt, you know, certainly less than 20 snaps. And so you, you bring in a guy that has almost zero experience, you know, in redshirt freshman Preston Wilson. So um, it's honestly, I think it's a little bit of a combination of both. I, I think you saw it across the country with COVID, uh, you know, teams losing games they shouldn't lose. You know, they, they didn't have a spring. Summer was really weird and really limited. You know, you got to be really careful throughout the fall. So I think that plays into it. Uh, it's honestly, it's a little bit of a combination of both or yeah. of all of it. You know what I'm saying? So well, with it's, an offensive line, you know, go, to, they, they depend on two things, maybe more than anything else, physicality and chemistry. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when you're not able to practice together, you don't have chemistry. When you're not able to practice with any physicality, then that takes the other half of that away. And so I think we saw offensive lines really at all levels struggle in the first couple weeks. But as the season has gone on, it's kind of felt like groups that are good have kind of found their footing and are improving. And so my question is, do you feel like you're seeing that improvement with Oklahoma State or is it still just a big, I I don't know if they're going to figure it out? No, I think I, I think it's more so the first part. Okay. I, I, you look at you look at Tulsa and they they struggled. You know, you you had you lose two offensive linemen on the right side. You lose your guard. You lose your tackle. You're having to shift your left tackle and Tevin Jenkins over to right tackle. You're having to bring in you know a, a guy that less than a month earlier was a walk-on who had just been brought on to scholarship. Now, um, Jake Springfield is very talented. He, he deserved that scholarship. He earned that scholarship. That wasn't a, well, we have an open spot because Dylan Galloway retired, so we're just going to pick a guy at random. Jake Springfield's going to be really good in Stillwater. But you had a guy that had never played, you know, was second, third, fourth string in practice, you know, you're piecemealing it together. And then the next week you're going up against arguably the best defensive line in big 12. You got a tandem brother and Darius and uh, Darian stills that are going to make a lot of money in the next 10 to 15 years in the NFL. And they did. Okay. You know, they, they weren't, they weren't superb. They didn't get an a plus rating, but they certainly didn't get an F. They were very middle of the road, which I think is a super, super win. And then Kansas was was really good, but it's Kansas. But then they did a really good job against Iowa State, you know, and then and they go up against Texas and for the most part against another really good defensive line. The offensive line did really good for Oklahoma State. They were they were they were pretty solid. You know, then you lose Jake Springfield and you're bringing in a kid that hasn't played before. And so you're having to circle things back around. You're you're looking at J- Josh Sills, who played guard. He got shifted out to tackle for a little bit. So you're really having to, to struggle. I, what's crazy to me is you go back to July and Oklahoma State's offensive line should have been one of the best, if not the best aspects of the game. And then you get Dylan Galloway, who retires in August, medically retires. You lose two players to team violations, who one of those, Bryce Bray, could have been probably top three, top two on that offensive line. Really, really good. Uh, The other guy, uh, Jacob Farrell, was a, a solid backup. And so all of a sudden, you're three guys down, and then you lose two more guys in the in the first half of the first game. So Charlie Dickey's really had a difficult situation he's had to deal with. Um, 
they're not the best offensive line, but for the situation they've been given, I think they're pretty good. How are you feeling about this Kansas State matchup? Because certainly I, I think we all looked at what Chris Kleiman has done in Manhattan. You look at that team, and they, they seemed really dangerous. Skylar Thompson goes down, and now they just kind of seem like they're not as good nearly, but they're, they're still one of those teams that I feel like if you, if you go into a game not respecting what they're capable of, they could mm-hmm. really jump up and bite you. And certainly if you commit as many mistakes as, as you did against Texas, I mean, this could be an L. But, again, I think this to me says it should be a bounce-back win. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think with, with how they lost the Texas game, I, I don't think they're going to go into Kansas State thinking, all right, we got to buy next week, and we got Bedlam the week after that. They just routed. So this is they big. were routed by West Virginia. Yeah. 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 So I, I think that they're going to go into it like, well, Texas wasn't very good, and they they kept up with us, and they beat us late in overtime, and the offense couldn't really get anything going. I, I don't I don't think they're going to I, I don't think they're going to go all out. You know, because they're they're worried, but I, I, I certainly don't think they're going to go into it overlooking every aspect. I, I think that I think this offense, you know, you certainly don't hope for turnovers, but you know, you eliminate. Let's just look look at the Texas game. You eliminate the pass, the the punt block, and you eliminate the the kickoff return. You're five, You win that game. You know, so I, I think if you you can eliminate certain mistakes, hopefully you can eliminate all turnovers. You know, if, if Spencer Sanders can go out there and not turn the ball over, or if it is a turnover, it's not really his fault. You know, like it's it's a it's a, an errant turnover, just random. Then I think then I think everything will be okay. Um, offensive line play, you need. I think they need to try to figure that out a little bit more. Um, the defense, I think the defense is fine. I, I think now injury-wise on the backside, you hope you can have – we don't know the status of it, but you hope you can have Colby Harbell Peel and Trey Sterling back. Um, really hope Chuba can get something going. Uh, like that – for me, it, it's not eliminating Spencer turnovers. You know, it's not trying to figure out this. It's not trying to figure out that. I, the only thing I'm interested in is, is, is Chuba Hubbard and if he can get going. That's my whole thing for the rest of the season. Just to wrap it up, is Big 12 championship appearance still kind of the expectation, or does that change with the loss to Texas and Bedlam still in front of you and, and just how many different scenarios there are that can really shake out now? No, I, I think Big 12 – that's the thing is I, I think Big 12 championship is very much still on the table. I think it's an expectation. I think it's very viable because you look at it, and, and Oklahoma – I think going into it, the – Oklahoma State, like, well, we're good enough. We're six in the country right now. We're playing well enough. We could make the college football playoff. And I think for fans, that's – I think that was an expectation. Playoffs. Playoffs are bust. You know, well, Gundy said yesterday, he was like, I don't even talk to my guys about the playoffs. We don't talk about that Final Four because in order for us to even get there, we have to get to the big we, – we have to get to a Big 12 title game and to even win a Big 12 title game, which obviously um, – but I, I think you look at it, and the loss to Texas was horrible, you know, and it and it brought everything down. But you still only have one loss. Kansas State has one loss. So if you take care of business against Kansas State, that puts them out of it, you know. And then all of a sudden, you're one of two one-loss teams. Iowa State's still at the still at the top right now. So I think that if Oklahoma State can take care of business, if they can beat Kansas State on Saturday, that bye week is is looking a little one of two ways because 
traditionally, Oklahoma State does has not had success against OU. Mike Gundy has not had success against OU. This is a very talented OSU team, one of the best they've had in a really, really long time on both sides of the ball. You look at uh, you look at the bye week, and it can either be really, really good. They can really prepare. They can get their bodies and their minds right, and they can go into Bedlam and they can they can play really well. Or traditionally, it could be really bad. But if OSU is able to figure it out against OU, then the rest of the season really doesn't look that bad. I mean, I'm not saying you could just take a couple weeks off, but, you know, TCU is not great this year. They're a very beatable team. Baylor has shown that they're a a very beatable team. Uh, Kansas State's going to be kind of tricky. OU at times, you know, it's still OU. Like I said earlier, it doesn't matter if OU's lost every game throughout the entire year. Something something switches when when OU gets to Bedlam. So I think the Big 12 championship is still very much on the table, and it's it's still very achievable. I think I think it very well could happen. I know I said last question, but I do have to ask you uh, for sure. Chuba Hubbard, do you? What's the sense of his demeanor? Because you mentioned we, we don't really. There's something obviously off. We don't know what it is. But is there maybe any sense of regret considering you know the, the stuff that happened this off season? Um, it, you know there was certainly some pushback on his side of, of that whole deal with Gundy. Uh, mm-hmm. The season's not going nearly as as he had hoped it was going to go. And and you start maybe wondering how much of this is just. I should have left. I should have struck while the iron was hot and gone to the next level. Or I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm just maybe throwing some things out there, as far as as what it could be. But mm-hmm. what is the sense that that you or or anybody that's been around him kind of gets from what his demeanor is? Yeah, I think I think your thoughts on this is is everyone's thoughts on this. You know, I everything we're hearing is really everything's fine. You know, there, there, it doesn't seem to be an issue in the locker room. There doesn't seem to be an issue in the practice field. Um, there doesn't seem to be an issue between Shuba and Gundy. You know, that situation seems to have worked itself out. Um, now, I, I'm sure that with with any situation, I think anybody would have regret. You know, you look at you look at what you did the year before. You know, well, you know what? I'm gonna I'm coming back. We look at the talent we've got. We got a chance to do a lot of really good things. And then less than two months later, everything in the country gets shut down. You don't have spring practice. You don't really have a summer. You don't know if you're gonna have a football season. You know, and and the offense, everything with the offensive line, and and you're barely putting up, you know, 50, 60, 70 yards a game, let alone. 152 250 like you were last year and so i'm i'm sure there's some regret i I, any person like i don't think you're normal you don't have a soul if you don't regret that situation some sort of regret but for, for everything we're hearing i don't i don't think there's really anything anything going on behind the scenes i don't think there's any fires burning um but i also don't think that it would have been smart for Chuba to leave. I'm, I'm one of the few people that think it was the right choice to come back because you look at, you go back to the year prior to last year and he played, he came in the, the latter half of Bedlam and then he played in what, two more games, three more games that season and that was his entire resume. And then he came out last year and that was his first full year. So, you know, the end of last year, he'd only played in 13, 14 games you know, maybe 15 games. 
if I'm an NFL scout, 15 games, I don't care if you put up 3,000 yards. 15 games isn't really enough to show me that you are legitimate. I think you need another, you know, now this year hasn't gone It's also great, not a lot he, of mileage, which no, is, it's not is a lot of mileage. something that's valuable. It, and that's and that's the thing, you know. It's it's kind of six one half dozen the other, right. because you look at this year and he's not doing a lot, but there are glimpses where he'll hit a hole or he'll make a guy miss or he'll he'll you know he'll break a couple tackles and and do something good. It it almost seems like he's right there, like there's just a you know he's a missed tackle away or he's he's an offensive block away from from breaking one big and it seems like at any moment it could happen and i think once it does then i think it it, it it'll 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 knock it all loose you know and I, i'm not saying that yeah. he's going to finish the year you know and put up 1500 yards in the last four or five games but i, I think it'll once that big play happens for him it'll kind of knock it loose and, and i think he'll be able to play freely i know the numbers maybe don't put him in the bolitnikoff situation but i, mm-hmm. I feel tylen wallace has just been fantastic Tylen Wallace is <laughs> it's it's really it's almost unfair to have a guy like Tylen Wallace because he he should have won the Bolitnikoff in 2018. I, I think and this isn't just well I cover OSU I like Tylen Wallace and I think he was robbed. I don't care if I covered OU or Texas or Virginia Tech. Tylen Wallace was robbed of the Bolitnikoff in 2018. He, he could have won it last year. He probably would have won it last year had he not torn his ACL prior to the TCU game. I don't think there are many people in the country at any level that can tear their ACL and then come back almost better than before they tore their ACL. It just it, it blows my mind what he's able to go out and do week in and week out. Uh, and talking to him, he said it was really all mental. You know, his, he had a lot of help with his brother. His brother's torn three ACLs, you know, so he knows the he knows the rehab process. And and there there is definite, you know, hurdles to physically to overcome when rehabbing a, a, an ACL. But I think a good portion of it's mental. And, and he was able to overcome whatever mental hurdles or mental blocks there were and just go out and, and do it and – Tylen Wallace is going to be probably a first half first round draft pick and and he's going to and I, James Washington was really really good and I think James Washington is still really good but I I it just it doesn't really feel like James Washington is going to be the best receiver in the NFL it seems like he's going to be that second or third guy on a on a team I could be wrong I hope I'm wrong you know, I hope in, in six or seven years you play this back to me and you're like, hey, look, you were way wrong. He's the best receiver in the Send league. Send it to freezing cold takes. Absolutely. Yeah. But 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 Tylen Wallace, man, he he seems like a guy that's going to be first round and he's going to make an impact as a rookie. And it's it's the ceiling for Tylen Wallace is incredibly high. Well, the knock on James, it felt like, was the route tree. Like, really, yeah. it kind of felt like all he did was catch the long ball. And, and you know, again, I, I, Tylen Wallace has this ability, too. Mm-hmm. Those two guys are so unique in their ability to track the ball in the air and then just go get it. I mean, yeah. that should be just a given for every receiver that plays the game, but it's not. I mean, those two yeah. guys have elite ability at, at tracking the ball in the air and just high-pointing it and going and getting it over somebody else. 
But as far as James Washington's game, it just didn't feel like there was a lot there other than that, or at least we didn't see a lot there other than that. Tylen Wallace does seem more diverse, but I think that's also a question with his game, you know, when you start projecting him to the next level. Yeah, you know, and I, and I think quarterback plays into that as well. You look at Mason Rudolph, and Mason's, Mason's deep ball was probably the best in the game. It's one of the best we had seen in a long time, and it would probably be one of the best today. Short to intermediate route, a little iffy. He was good behind the line, you know, those swing passes. He was great with Mike Yersich. Uh, over the middle, not so much. Spencer Sanders, on the other hand, has a decent deep ball, but but he's more intermediate. He's more going to throw those out balls. And 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 Tylen, Tylen, it, it's really good for him because it shows off his wide range, right. you know, and, and it allows him to work on that range. Whereas if you have a quarterback like Taylor Cornelius or Mason Rudolph, Tylen Wallace, you know, is going to have 2,000 yards on a season, and it's going to be on two two different kind of passes. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, that's a big advantage, and it makes sense Absolutely. to take advantage Definitely. of his ability to just go get the ball over everybody. But just in terms of talking about what you're seeing and, and taking that to the next level, I think those are just the, the conversations that are being had. So, uh, oh, and, and, and I think you play his height into it. I mean, yeah. he's not 6'3", he's not 6'4", not 6'5". It's not like he's going up and mossing receivers because he's four inches taller than a defender. I mean, Tylen Wallace is 6'1". Six, six you know, I mean, he's he's not the tallest receiver, but yet he's going to go up against any corner, and he's going to he is going to come down with that ball if it's catchable. He's very unimposing, right? Like you stand Absolutely. next to him, and he's just kind of like another guy. I, I mean, I'll never forget. I had never seen him in person until after mm -hmm. that 2018 season, and the first time I was next to him, I was like, "This, there's no way this is Tylen Wallace." There's no way I mean, this guy is going to embarrass me and put right, me on a post. Right, He's not going to yeah. go up and just catch the ball over anybody that lines up across from him, and yet that's yeah. what he does. And I think with a lot of, you know, I've been next to Jerry Judy. I've, I've been next to CeeDee Lamb. I've been next to some of these guys that are the, you know, the quote-unquote first-round receivers. And those guys, like, you look at them and you can see it. Like, you, they look yeah. like the guy that's going to oh, go that do that. Yeah. And, and with Tylen Wallace, he doesn't yet. I mean, the results are, are obviously just incredible. Yeah, and, and I, I I think there's still time, you know, and I think I, I'm not sure he gets a Bolitnikoff this year. I, I think that I think he deserves it, you know, with 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 his entire body of work that he's had at Oklahoma State. He it's not like he is struggling this year because of his own volition. You know, it's it's not right. like last year he only put up nine hundred only put up nine hundred yards because the rest of the season he didn't do anything. Right. He got injured last year and the offense is a little sputtery this year. You know, that's that's not on him. So I, I hope that the next, you know, four or five games for Oklahoma State, they're really able to figure it out and he can put up, you know, one fifty, one sixty, one seventy for the rest of the season to really pad that resume because he, he Whatever he gets at the next level, he has absolutely earned it. Yeah. Before I let you run, we, we kind of have the whole country opening up as far as college football goes this week. It's the return mm -hmm. of the Pac-12. As just a college football fan, how much are you enjoying this season? Does it feel like it's kind of been lacking something? Like, what's your overall just sense of the college football season to this point? It's felt really weird because you look at these right and every, do with it what you will, but the rankings this year i feel do not matter as a whole yeah. because a no a no team a team that has no no play they haven't played 
you know, no games at this point should not move up in the rankings. I don't care what happens ahead of them. I don't care if they're the 15th team in the country and one through 14 loses, 15 shouldn't even be in the rankings. That's, that's how I've looked at it. Like for me, it's weird because if you, if you haven't played, then you shouldn't be in the rankings until you play. Now, I get that Ohio State is one of the best teams in the country, whether they play or not. Talent-wise, they're really, really good. You shouldn't be sitting in the top 10 for a month and a half waiting to play. Same with Oregon, same with USC. It just, to me, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm excited for everything to start back up. I'm excited to see the Pac-12 play. Um, I'm not excited to stay up till three in the morning watching the Pac-12 play, but I'm excited to see the Pac-12 play. But it, for me, I don't think it'll feel normal for at least another week. Like you get into that second week of games or you get out of that second week and you're going into the third week because that's how it was for me with the Big Ten. Yeah. That first week was kind of like everyone else's first week. Teams are losing games they shouldn't. You know, Penn State losing to Indiana was wild. That should never happen. Rutgers shouldn't be winning ball games. You know, it's just it's really strange. And so you give me you give me two or three weeks of Pac-12 play, you know, November 24th, 25th, that'll feel like college football. And I'll be pretty excited about yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, even to your point about the polls, like we started the season and, and this is how ridiculous polls are for, for just to kind of spin off for a second. LSU was like preseason number six. They yeah. lost both coordinators. And I think in their first game against Mississippi State, they were starting two of their starting 22 from the previous season. I mean, that's, that's absurd to, to call them the number six team in the country. That aside, Absolutely. though, you know, I think one of the fun things about college football is the Heisman discussion that we have mm-hmm. every single week and, and the award discussion, and that's been very limited because of, you know, the limited amount of games played and not everybody's played the same amount of games. And that kind of has just felt very janky to, to talk about. And then the other part, that, and this is one of the reasons why I think college football is so exciting, it's November, and in a normal season, like, we're all arguing every day for hours about what, you know, that college football ranking is going to look like and who has lost to who and whose strength of schedule is better. And, like, with everything that's happened and some teams just starting and, and it's like, I don't even know how you, like, find your way through that maze to yeah. even put something like that out. And so I think when you remove that conversation from college football, it all just kind of Again, I'm not saying I don't enjoy it because I, I'm in front of my television from mm-hmm. the from sunup to sundown every Saturday, and I love college football, but it does feel a little bit stale because of the lack of maybe conversation around the college football playoff and just how intense we all get about that conversation and how much every game means toward that conversation weekly. Well, and for you, does, does college football really – is it going to feel complete this year? You know, you go back to, like, Major League Baseball, they played 60 games. You know, so while, yes, the Dodgers won the World Series, they played 100 less games than they normally would have. You know, the NBA felt the NBA felt a little weird, but at least they played a majority, you know, of their, of their schedule. But baseball feels kind of weird. College football is kind of in the same boat. The Big Ten started two weeks ago. The Pac-12 is going to have, like, four games. You know, is that, like – let's say Oregon wins out and they make the college football playoff and for some right. crazy, you know, some, something crazy happens and they end up winning the championship. I don't know if I would look at that as, okay, yeah, they, they earned that championship. 
No, you had a good team. You played four games. You were healthy. You were fine. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't have to worry about playing anyone or getting injured because you're the freshest team. Like, I, I asterisk. Yeah. Like, that's how I would look at that. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's strange. Well, with MLB, it, I know the, the season wasn't as long, but you had an extra round of playoffs where you were in jeopardy. And, and <laughs> I mean, I know you're a baseball guy. Uh, you know this. I mean, in, in baseball, tell. a two-game series is scary, man. Like. Yeah, to, it is. I mean, the best team in baseball probably isn't going to lose a seven-game series, but in a best of three, like that's certainly a, a, a worrisome scenario. So, and the it's Dodgers like were also down three-one. I don't know. I, I'm not like asterisk on the baseball thing, just because I, 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 when you got to the playoffs, there was a very real threat of getting mm-hmm. sent home, and I think the baseball just playoff structure made it tougher than it's ever been to win a World Series. So the regular season didn't have nearly the same weight, but I think they made up for it on the back end. With college football, I just don't even know how we start this conversation of realistically picking four teams, and it it almost just feels like you're going to have to go with some conference champions or, like, I don't even know. I don't even know how you get there because, again, it's just everything is weighted so differently right now because you have some teams that have played five games. You have other teams that have played one. You have other teams that are just starting and, and haven't even played a game yet. Well, and it, 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 not that they're going to be in the playoff conversation, but this season has been so strange that show me a normal year where Coastal Carolina and Marshall are in the top 20. You know, yeah. it, it's it's so strange that, you know, you've got so many teams not playing and then so many teams coming back and they're not ready to play. And so they're getting knocked off and, and you're looking at that top 25 and it almost looks like a college baseball top 25 because it's just so random. Not not that Marshall's going to, you know, not that Marshall's going to play their way into the college football playoff. You know, not that Coastal Carolina is going to play their way into the college football playoff or any of the other teams in the 20, you know, 17, 18, 19. But it's a weird, weird world we're living in where uh, a potential Pac-12 team that plays nobody and plays less than five games could find their way into the college football playoff just because the AP decided to keep those teams in the top 25 throughout the entire year. Or how about if uh, how about if Clemson without the best player in college football, Trevor Lawrence, like loses by a field goal to Notre Dame this weekend? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, that's and and that's and that's another crazy thing because you look at you know and, and to be honest though I'm I'm really surprised that we're setting at November third and this is really the first opportunity we've had to see COVID really, really kind of ravage yeah. a team. You know, like we we've seen that now take that with a grain of salt because we've seen teams that have, well we've got a ton of positives we got to cancel this week, you know, but they're rescheduling games. You know, there haven't been too many situations this year where your number one quarterback or your number one receiver or your number one running back is out for two weeks. Heisman front runner. Absolutely. So, you know, they nearly lost. If they lost last week, season over. I I don't care what you do the rest of the year. You can beat every team by 40. You lose to Syracuse, ball game. I don't care if Trevor Lawrence is in that game or not. And so if they lose to Notre Dame, I mean, this all of a sudden – and that's the thing I talked about yesterday on my show. Oklahoma State, they only fell to 12th in the coaches' poll, and they fell to 14th in the AP. If they fall to 16 in the AP, 
then then maybe you know I, I think it's a little bit out of out of reach. But if Clemson loses this week and and you see Ohio State fall or you know you see another top ten team fall, all of a sudden Oklahoma State they're setting back up at eight seven you know to possibly get back up to six and then with two you know two weeks left in the season i mean oklahoma state has a chance to possibly play their way back in long shot but it's certainly possible the way this season has been topsy-turvy yeah i kind of feel like oklahoma state is the only team that has a a deep at at any shot at all at getting into the college football playoff and and they would have to obviously run the table and even then Mm -hmm. i don't think it's a guarantee but absolutely uh i you know Again, barring like Ohio State losing twice and, and, you know, just complete chaos. But if things kind of finish the way they traditionally do, I just don't think that anybody from this league is getting the benefit of the doubt. So No, for sure. And and I think that's, you know, the Big 12, the way they've played, has ensured that no one would get in. Now, if if Oklahoma State and, and Oklahoma State would have had to have gone undefeated. I think to make the college football playoff in, in in a normal situation the rest of the year, if the season plays out the way it should, you know, if, if Clemson wins, if Ohio State continues to win, if the other top ten teams continue to win, then the only way Oklahoma State would have made it is if they went undefeated. But you look at Texas, you know, Texas is down. I mean, it's not a huge surprise, but but OU struggling the way they have. You know, Iowa State is decent, but they're not they're not super, super great. West Virginia's not super, super great. You know, Baylor's not super, super great. Tech's not great. Kansas State's not great. You know, so it you know, you go back three years and, and beating a Baylor team or, you know, beating an Iowa State or a West Virginia team that, you know, West Virginia had a chance with Will Greer to make the playoffs. You know, you beat those teams, you beat OU, you're guaranteed, you know, because OU was just so good for so long. This year, it's it's not as, you know, it's it's down a level. So Oklahoma State would need a lot nationally to happen, not in conference, but nationally in order to get back into that college football playoff because the Big 12 has done no favors for itself this year. Yeah, especially with your single week of non-con going as badly as it did for the Big 12. So Yikes. Yeah. All right, man. Uh, I will let you run. Zach, I certainly appreciate it. Zach Lancaster with PokeReport.com joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. Let's do it again soon, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Always good talking to you. Thank you to Zach Lancaster from PokesReport.com joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. Once again, thank you guys for checking out the podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, review, and rate the podcast. You can reach out to me via Twitter at Colby underscore Daniels or Instagram Colby.Daniels. And a giant thank you once again to Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Again, great ownership. I'm a customer. I was there yesterday picking up my order. They're about helping people live better lives. Check out their line of products at abotanicalcompany.com. Give them a call at 405-458-9699. Ask questions, educate yourself on what they have to offer and how it can benefit you. And that's really the most important thing. So again, big thank you to Artisan Botanicals, awesome people, and I'm really excited to have them on board. All right, that is it for today's edition of the Colby Daniels Podcast. We will be back tomorrow. Everyone have a great day, stay safe, and I will talk to you very soon. Podcast is over.